Do you ever feel like a hamster on a hamster wheel, not getting anywhere new? Perhaps you've hit a plateau that has you asking, is this it? Have you accomplished all you've set out to do in life and are not feeling as fulfilled as you thought you would? It is normal at midlife to reassess what's working for you and what's not. It's also normal to want to reclaim your time, your energy, and your joy. Let's make the best out of the second half of our lives by having more fun, experiencing more peace, and feeling more joy. If any of this resonates with you, then this podcast is for you. I'm Megan Bayless-Bartley. Now let's get ready to shift our shit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to part two of Meet Megan. Uh, I'm here in my office with my trusty therapy dog, Lemon, who is asleep after a long day of work. Um, in this part two, I'm going to talk a little bit about my own experience with therapy. I um, I started, I first saw a therapist when I was about 16 years old. I was diagnosed with um, uh, chronic fatigue, which every uh, physician that I saw said that it was a psychosomatic response that I was stressing myself out, essentially. And they thought that it could be helpful for me to go to therapy to figure out what was stressing me out. Well, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a firstborn type A, uh, put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm a high empath. I am a deep thinker. I can run uh, on the anxious side. I was a little, I would say a little bit, very much a perfectionist. Um, so much so that in my bedroom, at my house growing up, I would vacuum the carpet so that it had vacuum lines in it, in the carpet, and you could not walk on it because you couldn't disturb the vacuum lines. So that was my level of OCD at the time. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, things that I could control and things that I couldn't control. Clearly at 46, looking back at my 16-year-old self 30 years later, I have more insight into what was going on back then. But at 16, I started therapy with a woman named Joy, and she was awesome. She was a marriage and family therapist, which I think really put me on the path of, you know, knowing what that license was and um, understanding the systemic nature of things that, you know, how marriage and family therapists look at things is in this idea of that we are all part of systems, the family system that we grew up in, which we usually call our family of origin, um, the church faith tradition we grew up in, the school tradition we grew up in, the part of the country or part of the world we grew up in, um, part, different uh, cultural norms that we grew up with. So all of those things help inform, um, you know, how, who we are and how we are in the world. Um, so, you know, there were some things within my own family that were difficult for me to um, be around. So I was the overachiever trying to do things really well, um, trying to not really get, I wouldn't say praise, but just not get in trouble, if you will, you know, always kind of being, you know, I, I would 
probably I would think that people would call me Miss Goody Two Shoes at the time because I just always wanted to, you know, not do things wrong, not get in trouble, not be on, you know, my parents' radar in a bad way. I, you know, I kind of was more the opposite where I was kind of always the golden child, if you will, which, you know, created its own issues for me and created its own issues within the family as well. So, um, but at 16, um, you know, I, I don't remember. I remember very clearly the therapist, the therapist office. I mean, I could probably even, you know, pull up the smell of the office if I really had to. Um, I remember talking a lot about friends and difficulties with friends um, and some stuff, you know, with my own family. But I feel like what that chance being with a therapist at 16 gave me was having a trusted adult who gave me, let's say, 50 minutes of their time, undivided attention, and didn't think I was crazy or bad or wrong or whatever, that I could just be exactly what I needed to be in that moment. And that's, you know, exactly what I needed. And I saw her on and off from 16. I remember seeing her again in my 20s. Um, I had a very interesting romantic relationship with somebody who had a lot of addiction issues. And that was really hard for me to balance. Um, and then uh, I moved away. When I moved away from Seattle, um, I don't remember. I finally went on some medication, um, an SSRI, Zoloft, in my early 20s. Um, I wasn't in therapy at the time. It probably would have done some good to be on medication and go to therapy. Um, but it was what I needed in the moment. But when I started at seminary to get my master's in marriage and family therapy, um, you know, I don't think they made it a requirement in the, in the program when I was there, but I know since then they have made it a requirement that the therapy students have to also get their own therapy, you know, at least maybe like six sessions or so. But I needed, um, I needed someone to help me manage my anxiety about what I was going to do next because, you know, I was living in Louisville, Kentucky um, I had, my parents were living in Arizona. I had grown up in Seattle. I had family in California. There was just a lot of unknowns and what I wanted to do kind of going forward. And I also remember at this, around this time, I met the man who is now my husband and dragged him to therapy with me, which, you know, only maybe a therapy student would do. Um, to take, uh, we were studying a assessment called Prepare and Enrich. And that was like a couple's assessment to see like how compatible you are or, you know, what um, things that you haven't talked about that you need to talk about. And I just remember, you know, thinking, you know, this is, this is the person I'm going to end up with. So I need to make sure that we are compatible. And at the time, um, it was, he was living in Austin, Texas, and I was in Louisville, so we were dating long, long distance. And, um, you know, it was, it was a high anxiety time of, you know, meeting the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, but um, 
also living long distance. So there was a lot of contemplating if I should drop out of school and go to um, move to Austin and try to finish school there. But I didn't. I stuck it out and um, moved to Austin, Texas, where my now husband and I got engaged and then we got married. And we did um, premarital counseling before we got married because there were definitely some things, you know, I was concerned about. I feel like, you know, there were things about my parents' marriage that I did not want to recreate in my own marriage. Um, and so I wanted to kind of make sure that we were able to talk about those things and um, be open and honest about those things before we got married and be okay with getting outside help. Even, you know, that's a lot of what premarital therapy does, you know, maybe doesn't do a ton in the moment, but it helps us better be able to ask for help later on um, in our relationships when we need it, which was very helpful when three years into our marriage, I, because my anxiety was so incredibly high and it was hard for me to live with somebody else that I was knew I was going to live with for the rest of my life. I'd had roommates and I was okay with roommates because they had their own room. I had my own room. You know, I knew that it was kind of a short-term thing, but to live with somebody, you know, and know that you were going to be with this person for the rest of your life, that was very anxiety producing for me. So I remember dragging, dragging, no, she willingly went to, to couples therapy again. And I remember saying, we had a male couples therapist, and I remember saying to him, like, I don't know if I'm meant to be married, you know, like, my anxiety was so high that I just felt like I was, I was doing damage to this relationship by, you know, trying to control things. Like that was, you know, a big thing of like how he loaded the dishwasher, how he folded the towels, like, you know, stuff that I look at now that really in the big picture of life doesn't matter. But I know having worked as a couples therapist for 20 plus years that a lot of people go through that. Um, and so they can identify with some of that. But, you know, really looking at that piece for me around what about the controlling, you know, what, what did I need? What did I need to know about why I was being so controlling and being with somebody who you know, he's second born, he's the peacemaker in his family, um, very easygoing, very easy to get along with. Um, and I think what I had to really start to understand, and I feel like there was things I needed him to understand about me because he was always like, this isn't normal for somebody to be this anxious. And I would say, well, this is how I am. Um, and there was a little bit of both, right? Of like, yes, okay, I might run a little bit type A. However, I didn't need to be as rigid and perfectionistic oriented as I was, um, you know, and I think he needed, it was helpful for him to see that, but also for me to start to trust him emotionally, you know, that was like the emotional vulnerability piece um, that I didn't feel like there was, I felt like I was more able to trust that he was going to be emotionally available to me 
and to heal some of the emotional hurts from, you know, my past. And, you know, that's hard to trust somebody that they're really, they're really, really, really going to do that, you know, with you and for you and, um, you know, be okay with, you know, all your imperfections. <laughs> Surprise, I'm not perfect. And I never was. Um, not an easy person or was an easy person to live with. Um, but I've learned over the years, and a big piece of this was having kids. And in my Creative Mornings talk, I talk about my anxiety and the silencing of my fear about, you know, being, you know, passing my anxiety on to my kids. So when I knew I was pregnant and going to have kids, I just really knew it was time to really get my anxiety under control because I didn't want my kids managing my anxiety or feeling like they had to manage my anxiety either for me or, you know, the codependent kind of relationship of if I was showing up anxious that then they, that would force them to have to show up a certain way, you know, like easy and getting along and all this stuff. So they were managing, you know, my anxiety. So it was important for me to be very much um, emotionally available to my kids and trying to put my, to put my anxiety into perspective. So, and I mean, really that took me knowing that raising my kids, you know, they, not that they're like empty slates, blank slates, because they come with their own personality and their own disposition and all those things. But how I showed up with them was really going to matter. So I needed to be in a, an emotionally open and vulnerable space to own my imperfections, to own when I was wrong, to repair um, things, because I had what I call my not so proud parenting moments and needed, you know, it, it's not that we are never going to have those. It matters about what we do with those not so proud parenting moments after they've happened, how we repair those afterwards, because that's, we teach our kids, we model that behavior for our kids when we do that with our kids. So if I snapped at them or, you know, yelled or something, you know, later I would say, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm very tired. I, I didn't mean to take that out on you. You know, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder in the future. So I was in therapy during that time. I did even did group therapy with new moms, um, you know, talking about the difficulties of being a new mom. Um, and from there, I've kind of been in and out of therapy based on, you know, what was going on in my life. You know, and my dad passed away five years ago and that time was really difficult for me. So I was, you know, seeing somebody on a very regular basis, probably for a good year or more um, to just handle, you know, a lot of the things that come with losing somebody um, and how that changes other relationships, you know, within the family as well. So, um, you know, also throughout time, there's been times where I didn't want to talk about things, but I knew something needed to shift. And so that's when I got really interested in like energy healing and Reiki work, um, because I knew that there was things happening 
in my body that needed to be released, you know, whether through massage or Reiki, um, you know, or somatic experiences. And so I think that was important for me to be okay with, you know, therapy, quote unquote, doesn't always need to be talk therapy. It can also look a lot differently. So, you know, the person that I work with now definitely uh, acts as my therapist a lot of times, but is much more of a coach and an energy healer. And that has been exactly what I need right now. And I'm open to, you know, if that's no longer what I need, I'll move on to whatever I need next. But for me, it's, you know, just sort of having that element of somebody that I trust in my life that will help me be the best version of myself and give me their undivided attention for an hour of their time. Um, and that has been and proven just priceless for me over the years to continue to grow and progress and be where I want to be. So that's my therapy journey. I hope that was helpful for you to hear that therapists get their own therapy. We're not perfect. We are perfectly imperfect. And, um, you know, if if you're interested in therapy, we at the Mindfulness Center, we have free 10 minute consults with many of our clinicians and we'd be happy to chat with you or you can check out you know more podcast episodes we have free videos or we have online courses there's a lot of opportunities to learn more or to you know just get more awareness about where you're at and where you might want to be going forward and how to shift your shit so hope you like this episode, please give us some feedback. Let us know whether you leave us a review or send us an email or a message. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.